On today's episode of the Launchpad Podcast, we are talking about the NBA draft. So don't go anywhere. We have a great show for y'all today on the Launchpad Podcast. Houston, Roger, we copy and standing by for your TV. They throw it up. Oh, there goes Jalen Green. Humans can't fly. Welcome in to another episode of the Launchpad Podcast presented by Clutch City Control Room. As always, I'm your host, Don Knock. I'm joined by my fellow host, Paolo Alves, over there. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Don Knock. You can find him on Twitter at Paolo Alves NBA. You can find the pod at Clutch City Control at Clutch City CR. Sorry. Uh, in the description there, we have the link for the link tree that has the YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify links. Um we want to continue to ask that y'all leave comments on the YouTube if you are watching there. We've got a lot of good comments. I'm sure we'll get a bunch of great, exciting comments on this video because everyone is very excited about how the Rockets drafted this year. So that's what our show is going to be about today as well. Obviously, the NBA draft. Um, I'm sure many of y'all have watched, listened to, consumed various draft content, but um, we did our space during the draft that got really good returns on it we want to thank everyone that tuned in for that and now we're going to get into some of the the post-draft analysis um starting with how the draft started um you know there are a lot of people that including paolo banker himself that thought he was going to go with the first overall pick uh even up to the last you know five minutes before the draft that did not transpire obviously he got picked by um the Orlando Magic, leaving Jabari Smith to fall to three for the Houston Rockets. And let's start there. Paolo, we we were big Paolo people. Um, I think, you know, in, over the last day and a half, we've we've made our, our pivot pretty pretty strongly here, and we're going to be all the way on board with, with Jabari. Uh, we are not calling it the Jabari Jungle. That is uh, uh, old news. We are calling it the Jabari Jet now. Um, how are you feeling about who we got with our third overall pick? How are you feeling about how he looks on the roster? And, and let's take it really from there. Um, yeah, I'm not going to lie. Um, Anker was the guy that that I wanted, right? And, and then for the first few minutes after... Um, for the first few minutes after the... It became like obvious that we weren't going to get him. I was, I was kind of bummed out. But then again, it, this wasn't a... This wasn't a like a one-player draft, right? I don't think Bankero was clear by, by far and away the best prospect, right? And so I don't think us getting Jabari is something that makes me like that sad after digesting it and thinking about it. Because there were a lot of arguments for Jabari that made sense and that and that were true. And that I thought the Bankero arguments outweighed to, to a certain extent, but they still make sense uh, now. And one of them is... Um, this is supposed to be a really weak draft, right? And and you you suppose that in a weak draft you're going to struggle to find, um, I don't know, your number ones or your number two offensive options or, or guys that can truly impact winning, um, because 
you're rating the prospect slower, right? And if you're assuming that that's the truth about this draft, then it makes sense to draft a guy like Kevari Smith, who maybe doesn't have the upside that Apollo and Kerdas have, but he's got a way higher likelihood of being a contributor uh, to a championship team, just because he's someone who can impact the game without the ball in a sense. He can just play defense and shoot threes, and that's that that can be um, incredibly impactful to to a winning team. And then, as as opposed to Pablo, who probably has the higher ceiling, but if he doesn't hit the higher ceiling, he's likely not going to be as good of a contributor to as many different types of teams as as Jabari as Jabari will be. And so, from that perspective, Jabari puts us in a in a really interesting position where, well, now we don't really need to worry about the fit with Shengun. Now you can fit any type of superstar or any type of of shot creation prospect, right? Any type of, um, yeah, shot creation prospect, exactly. Into this team, be it a point guard, be it a shooting guard, be it a wing, be it a center, be it whatever, whatever it is, because there is someone who's going to be able to play multiple positions and he doesn't restrict what you need to play around him in order for him to be successful. Um, and so from that perspective, it, this leaves a lot of intriguing team building opportunities in, in the future. And it might be, at least for me, one of those, I guess, I guess a blessing in disguise, uh, at least for, for the people that have power number one, because it might just be that next year who that is considered to be a really stacked draft that that's supposed to have the best prospects in LeBron James. And then even in the top 10 has a lot of these guys that project to be shot creators and guys that hit the ball in their hands, right? And the Rockets are projected to be one of the worst teams in the league next year as well. And so it might be a blessing in disguise that we were kind of not forced, but but led into taking this, this guy who's more of a um, off-ball guy, more of a, a guy that can that can impact the game in other ways. Considering that next year, we'll likely there will likely be a lot of options, and most of them will be shot creators. Most of them will be uh, offensive options. The, your guys like the Rick Whitehead, your guys like the the, the Thompson twins, your um, your Scoot Hendersons, your Nick Smiths, all of these guys. Um, project to be exactly that, and so if you're going to likely be being taking one of those guys next year, then it makes Jabari might be the best fit, right? And yeah, and then there's just there's a lot to like with Jabari, right? It's while we like Don more, this doesn't mean that Jabari is some kind of bum or anything like that. That there's there was a reason that most people thought he was going to go number one. Um, as as we've talked about before, we've had the discussion a lot. He's a deadly shooter. He's a really lengthy defender. He's got an elite work ethic. He's an enforcer in, in every sense of the world of the of the word, and that's just something really valuable to surround your your young guys with. I I I have yeah I have a tweet with with a lot of synergy stats, and and I can read them to you, and you'll see wait how did this guy fall to three. Um, so shooting stats, right? Per synergy, catch and shoot. In all catch and shoot shots, he averages one point, basically one point two points per possession. That's 89th percentile in college. On contested shots, uh, he averages 1.04, 81st percentile in contested shots. I'll just say the 
the percentile so because that's that's the the most important part because it's in comparison to other guys in college and contested jump shots 99th percentile uh dribble jumpers 95 95th percentile and then on spot ups 95th percentile isolation 91st percentile post ups 91st percentile pick and roll roll my 98th percentile coming off of screens 92nd percentile and then this is offensively right while we don't project him to be someone that creates his own shot he is someone that that is absolutely deadly off the ball like out to one of the best off ball prospects we've seen in, in a long time and then when when the, when looking at his defensive stats right when defending spot ups he's 93rd percentile which means he's allowing people to score very little um when defending isolations he's 99th percentile when defending uh, the pick and roll ball, ball handler he's 70th percentile he's allowing half a point for possession when defending the pick and roll ball handler um when defending like in all of his defensive possessions where the the opponent ends up shooting the ball he's allowing 0.7 points per possession and this is 96 percentile on all jump shots he's 96 percentile on catch and shoot alone he's 96 percentile once again in dribble jumpers when defending dribble jumpers he's 98 percentile at the rim itself he is 92nd percentile so we're getting one of the best versatile defenders right in uh, probably the best one in this draft we were getting someone who has a really high motor someone who has a lot of stamina so he will be able to play with defense and he will be able to be moving off the ball offensively and so this creates this player that's going to be a really nice tool for Salas to use in the system and there's a lot to be excited about so even though we didn't quite get the guy that at least I wanted I think there's still a lot to be excited about and and as I said there's been a lot of people on Twitter that's, that have been on my ass about it, but I'm going to support the guy that the Rockets draft, no matter what. Do I still think Bankero is probably the best player we could have gotten? Yeah, but that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that in that was my evaluation pre-draft. That doesn't mean next year I won't have a different opinion. That doesn't mean that in, at the end of, uh, when it actually matters when we're contending again, this wasn't the correct option. So, and then again. It wasn't even an option. That that's the other thing that people forget. We we have a third pick. We were going to take whichever one was left to us. So, yeah, I don't think there's any victory victory lapping worth doing because ultimately we got the one that that was left for us. Yeah, and so when we were going to the draft process, like I was uh, originally when I did my board, I had Paolo one, Jabari two, uh, Chet three. Um, you know, through the draft process, we kind of went through different iterations of that. And that was still probably what my my final board ended up being, um, something around there. I think, you know, you kind of went over the the statistics and stuff and where he looks like he grades out a lot of those things. I think, you know, watching the film, it really looks like he's going to be someone that can shoot well in like pull up in transition uh, it looks like he'll be able to shoot well, you know, out of the mid post. We'll be able to shoot well off the catch and shoot off the relocation. Um, I'm not really worried about the shooting in any any area of the game. Um, sometimes he does. He'll get a little bit aggressive and take a kind of like a leaner three. Um, other than that, you know, when he goes straight up into his jump shot, it just looks incredible. It looks fluid. The mechanics on it look great. Um, so having someone that can shoot to that level is really going to open things up for Shingun, Jalen, KPJ, 
Um, and then we'll see who who's going to fill in the last spot there in the in the starting lineup. But um, you know, I was someone. I, I'm not going to say I was skeptical about the handle, but I I think if you drafted him number one, you really want that guy to be able to create their own shot. And you know, having taken him at three. It's a little bit less of that type of pressure. We need this guy to, you know, really be the, the guy. We already have Jalen. We have Shingun. I think, I think his playmaking is an area where he could stand and improve a little bit. And we saw some improvement from Jalen as a playmaker last year. So I'm going to give the coaching staff, the the development staff, the benefit of the doubt. They're going to be able to work with him and and uh, help him make some of those simple reads like they got Jalen to do. Um, you know, if you could run some some shingun jabari pick and rolls with either of those guys as a ball handler i think that would really open some stuff up as well um then you can have Jalen and, and kpj functioning off ball as well i think those are the really two swing skill areas here between where he's gonna hit and be like a very high level role player versus you know elevate him, his game into being a superstar he can take take what he already has as a great incredible foundation and add some some iso wiggle add some ball handling and then get some playmaking in there as well um that's when he goes from someone who's going to be you know like we'll say like michael bridges plus michael bridges with you know some some better post moves post scoring to someone who's getting into it's hard to even make the comparison here but you know they throw out kd a lot and i think that's a that's a tough comparison for anyone but maybe closer to like chris middleton range as an offensive player um as a defensive player i I will say, I think pairing him with Tari Eason is going to be an interesting move. I think Tari Eason will be someone who can take more of the primary defensive matchup. Tari Eason is someone who is very aggressive as a defender. He goes for a lot of steals. He likes to play in transition a lot. Um, He gets a lot of dunks that way. I I think that is a very interesting pairing with the way Stone did that, those two drafts um, back-to-back. I think Jabari... If you have to be the primary defensive matchup, and we've seen this even with someone like Kawhi, right? When Kawhi has to be the primary defensive matchup, he has to take a bit of a step back on offense. And so having someone like Tar Eason there who can be the primary defensive matchup on the other team's best player, then you have Jabari can, you know, take that matchup sometimes if you need to switch or uh, you know, take the secondary matchup. I think that will allow him to to be more engaged offensively, doing things like trying to create his own shot and get to the rim. And um that brings me to the the next, I won't say concern, but the area that I'd like to see improvement from. Um, getting to the rim, rim pressure, finishing at the rim. You know, he's six foot ten. He has a good wingspan. We've seen some of the tape that's already come out in terms of you know him having some some good dunks on guys. But just being able to get to the rim, I think, is going to be important. Hopefully, the Rockets' spacing will be sufficient that. Uh, it'll be easier for him to get there in the first place. He won't have be having to try to dribble and maneuver through a crowd. He can really take his man one-on-one and then you know have to use uh, some simple counters and be able to get to the rim that way. Um, if, he can, if he can improve his finishing at the rim and improve his ability to get to the rim, uh, I think that's going to open up a lot of things for him because he's already good enough of a shooter that teams are really going to overplay him for his shot. And with that, right, the obvious counter there is to attack the closeout and attack um, the empty space that's going to be there because the defense is going to come so far out on him. Um, Those, you know, watching him immediately on tape and having watched him throughout this draft cycle, those are things that really stood out to me over time. Um, I think the fit with Jalen is going to be really good 
because I, I think Jalen's a very similar personality. Um, well, I'll, I'll say Jalen's very similar work ethic wise. So, you know, you have two guys coming in that are good locker room guys, good workers. Um, Jalen obviously is, I would say Jabari is a better shooter than Jalen is right now, but obviously Jalen a little better at creating his own shot and things like that. But, you know, you have two guys that are coming in, uh, they can shoot, they can defend, they have good physical tools. You're not having to play undersized um, anymore. And and that was another thing that I really hammered uh, going back to last year was since Trevor Ariza left, we've played undersized for the most part. We haven't been good rebounding for the most part. And Jamari's, Jabari's rebounding numbers weren't incredible. Um, at Auburn, it's 6.2 rebounds per game, which is, you know, it's not an incredible number, but that's that's a good enough number that I'm not concerned about his rebounding in general. Um, I'll have to go back and watch a little bit more on how he is as a positional rebounder and boxing out and things like that. But just from a physical standpoint, um, you know, we no longer playing undersized. We should be able to get some good rebounds. We'll see how long Eric Gordon uh, stays in the starting lineup. But, you know, if we get Eason in there as well, finally we have plus size, plus size player at the three and the four. And, you know, Shingun is a, a little bit undersized as a center, but when your other four players are all, you know, they all have big physical advantages at their position, I think it really sets you up to be successful um, with the way they can deploy a lot of these lineups. I think, the good thing about again about having Tar Eason and Jabari Smith both on on this roster is that you can do a variety of different things defensively. You're gonna be able to switch. You're gonna be able to uh, hedge and recover if you want to go that way. You can be able to run drop with Shingun. Um, you can you know start to mix up defensive coverages. Uh, I, I will say I just want to say this. Well, I, I'll save it for when we get to the, the Tari section. But um, I think I think the other important thing here is that Jabari. Jalen, KPJ, right? Like these are all guys who, who should have no problem slotting into multiple defensive schemes. Um, and so that way, you know, the only person you're having to quote unquote hide defensively to any degree is really Shingun. So that was a big selling point for a lot of people coming in was if you get Jabari, then that really is going to allow Shingun to not have to play um, as pivotal of a role defensively. Uh, you can have, uh, you know, you can have the point of attack defense kind of make up for a little bit of, you know, maybe not as effective rim protection. So I know a lot of the Shingun people are very pleased with this pick. Um, again, I'm very pleased with this pick. I think there's really not a lot of downsides. And I think the upsides, upsides are definitely there. If some of these swing skills hit, you could see Jabari really take himself into, into like upper echelons of players in this league. When you look at the structure of the league generally, right? Um, this is a big wing league. The the guys that have been the best players in the league outside of you know Steph Curry for the last decade have all been big wings. Jabari slots right into that same mold, and, and I think you know this is going to be a good test of Steven Silas's abilities to to develop you know superstar prospects. Yeah, and the other thing I wanted to mention is body himself, right? I think Dylan is someone who leads by example, but is not extremely vocal. At least didn't seem like it the first year. That could have been because Wood was the quote-unquote leader or whatever it is. They didn't feel like he needed to. But I think Jabari, very much on the defensive end, is someone who's going to demand more out of you. Uh, I, I made a tweet joking about it uh, earlier yesterday, I think, 
saying how how long with Christian Wood and Javari Smith last in the same locker room before a fight broke out because Christian Wood's not trying whatsoever on defense. And while that was a joke, there, with every good joke, there's a little, a little hint of truth behind it. And I do think that Javari is someone who will like who is a bona fide winner and that will demand maximum effort, at least on defense, from his teammates. And then I think we have the offensive talent that we don't really need people to tell us to play better offense because, well, most of our guys are great offensive players, but I do think an enforcer on the defensive end is something that will help this team. And a culture setter uh, like Clevary, or like what I think Clevary can be, um, is definitely a good, um, like a refreshing presence to for this team. And then the other thing I wanted to, to point out as well about Levari is the entire thing about him, the finishing at the rim, uh, I was reading about it and, and apparently he was really good at finishing around the rim when he played without Walker Kessler on the floor. So yeah. all the way up to, I think, I think 59% on twos and 70 something percent at the rim, something crazy like that. So it could very well be that it's just a college system with terrible guards and with a center that camps in the paint. And that creates terrible spacing, and then maybe that's why he was struggling. And then his percentages don't look awful at the rim. Like, that's not the case. The case is, it's a really low percentage of the time that he gets to the rim, right? He usually settles for jump shots. And whether that's because, well, his jump shots are deadly, or because there's no space, um, I think that's something that I think that's something that's coachable. And I think we'll, ha- we'll have more intel as to if he's actually a bad finisher at the rim at the NBA level when we, when we watch him play because, as I said, it's mostly a volume issue, not a uh, ability issue to some extent, right? And, and even if it is, and even if it, it turns out to be an ability issue, he's 18. I think that's one of the things that you can that you can improve and that you can teach him how it, teach him how to how to improve and a hard worker like him. I'm sure he'll get hang, he'll get the hang of it. All right, so that's going to lead us into our first break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about Tari Eason, so don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. And continuing our second segment here on the Launchpad Podcast, we'll be talking about Tari Eason. So Tari Eason, forward out of LSU. I'm sure by now a lot of y'all have you know watched his introdu- introductory press conference clips, um, maybe some of the clips floating around Twitter, uh, and you know some of his highlights as well. I, I think something I just want to kind of clear the air about um, – me and Paolo talked to different people throughout the draft process. And initially there were a lot of Rockets fans that were very high on Tari Eason, right? I was one of them. Um, I've been requesting that the Rockets sign a big wing or draft a big wing for two years now. So the first two picks in this draft were just, you know, they absolutely wore my heart because I have been asking for this player archetype the entire time. Um, But while we were talking to people throughout the draft process, we we had heard that, you know, Tari Eason wasn't doing well in some workouts, um, that, you know, his processing may be an issue, uh, and he was having trouble doing some drills uh, and things like that. And, you know, I, I went back after we made the pick. I listened to him speak on a uh, friend of the show, Roosh. Uh, his podcast was Zach Noble. Listen to that interview. I listened to the clips he had uh, on the Rockets twitter account where they were just responding to fans i was like you know this guy doesn't sound like you know someone that was struggled with these drills doesn't sound like someone that you know has some sort of processing issue uh he sounded very intelligent he sounded like someone that's very uh smart 
very good basketball feel and, and things like that. And so, um, you know, sometimes stuff comes out for, for various reasons. You know, maybe he had one bad workout with the team or, or whatever the case may be. But, you know, my initial read, my initial from from the tape, from hearing him speak and, and things like that, I, I think this could be someone that winds up grading out way above where we drafted him at. You know, you watch the tape. He's someone who's very aggressive defensively. He has very good hands. He has very large hands. Um, he's able to just reach in as guys are driving and stop the drive entirely. Uh, you know, very Kawhi Leonard-esque, honestly. And and that was someone that he cited as a, a big influence on his game when he was speaking uh, with Roosh. But uh, the big thing for him is going to be, you know, let's say two sections here. One, some people are a little bit skeptical of the shot. He brings the ball up kind of low and he brings it up. Uh, his, his elbow is very compact when he brings it up. Uh, and, you know, some people don't like the way the form looks. Uh, at the end of the day, I, I am someone who's a little bit more of a stickler on form. I think, I think you know, you can make some minor tweaks to his form that would bring the release point up a little bit higher. I don't think that's anything that has to be completely rebuilt. His shot is quick. His shot is compact. Um and it does go in. So that's, you know, that's part of the the battle there is, you know, making sure the ball goes through the hoop. But I think, I think uh, overall, he's not someone who I watch him shoot. And I think he needs a complete form rebuild the way we saw Lonzo Ball coming into the league or like a Michael Kidd, Gilchrist or something along those lines. His shot, it doesn't, it's not the most beautiful aesthetic shot the way Jabari Smith is, but I don't think it's a situation where you're going to have to completely scrap the form and start from nothing. I think there are enough pieces there that you can make minor tweaks um, and and things will, will go very well for him. The second thing is he is very right-hand dominant as a driver. Um, he does need to you know, expand his game with his left hand. He's someone who is very explosive and very athletic and very, very... There's people that are fast, and then there's people that are quick, right? And he's someone that is quick. So you'll see him close down space very fast. You'll see him cover ground very fast, you know, in short in short um, areas. And so because he has that ability, he's able to really sneak things through as a finisher. He's able to use his explosiveness, explosiveness his strength, and his physicality to, to finish at the rim very well. And he really hasn't had to just solely rely on um, – you know, craft and his handle to get to the rim. Um, he's probably not ever going to be the first offensive option. So he is able to work in more as a cutter, as a slasher, uh, as someone who teams aren't really going to load up against him to force him to his weak hand, right? He's going to be able to use his basketball, feel his his read of the, of the defense and kind of work in that way. But, you know, expanding his game to be, able to use his left hand as a finisher, as a driver. That's a very obvious um, improvement point for him. Defensively, I think he's someone that can switch one through five. You know, he's mentioned that he has a good wingspan. He has, you know, good strength. He has good quickness, um, like I was alluding to earlier. And, you know, just overall, I think if he can hit threes at 36% in the NBA – I mean, there is I, – I think the passing, we'll see. Obviously, that's, you know, something that – not something that's going to be critical, but if he can get some some passing chops as well, that's going to help things a lot uh, going and being an NBA starter. But, you know, the other elements of his game, you know, basically everything you want, like the prototypical modern wing, right? You know, hits the three, can finish at the rim, uh, 
can defend different positions. So just overall, I, I am extremely pleased with this pick. I I wanted Sohan. Um, I think Sohan is going to be a good player as well. But, you know, I think we're going to have to have been in a trade-up situation to get Jeremy Sohan. That didn't transpire for, you know, a variety of reasons. I'm sure GM Rafael Stone um, tried to explore those options. But, you know, staying at 17, this was the guy who I, I was completely comfortable with this pick. Uh, I still am comfortable with this pick as I've dived into his tape even more. Um, you know, I'm getting even more excited about it. So, you know, just overall, I, I would say this is a, a slam dunk of a pick by Rafael Stone. Yeah, I, that's the reason everybody wants. Like, there was if there was one consensus guy amongst Rockets fans, at least on Twitter, was that everybody wanted Tyrese. There's a reason for it. This is a it's a six foot eight guy with a seven two wingspan with massive hands. They can I mean shoot to some extent, right? People don't love the form. It goes in, goes in. Don't really care. If if any of it comes into the NBA and it doesn't work. We've taught Casey Martin how to shoot, and he hadn't shot a one like he wasn't a shooter at any point in his career. Um, and then six foot eight, seven two wingspan, really good defender. Like I, I, I usually say, there's two types of defenders, or there's three types of defenders. There's the guys that can't defend whatsoever. And then there's the guys that have the tools and they do a decent enough job. Like, and then there's the guys that will truly get into your space and truly try to play lockdown defense and stop you from scoring and forcing a turnover, right? This is not one of those guys that's going to make the right play or, or like funnel you into a shot blocker or just stay in front but still give you space to, to get your jump shot off or stuff like that. No, this is a guy that's going to be in your face trying to shut you down. And so that's, uh, that's something that this team needs. Right, and then the archetype itself. I really like Tyrese first. Week, first, first off, because he has the motor, right? Um, and then it plays a very valuable role in the NBA. I've, I've said uh, this might be a hot take, but I think he's more of a four, and Jabari would be more of a three if they played both together. Mostly because I think I think Jabari will be more comfortable defending quicker players than Tyrese will. Uh, although they both can do it to some extent, and. <laughs> The um, he the way I look at him, he is he would be an improved version of PJ Tucker. He would be bigger, bigger wingspan, same motor. Um, as in, he would be a four that you can sit him in the corner and he can shoot threes. He can set screens well, and then he can defend up to the three, some twos, um, and he can play small ball five if you want to go small. I think he's the prototypical ideal small ball five in terms of his body type and his strength. And then, on defensive end, you want him to shoot, right? But that's not the only thing that he can do. He's a very physical guy. He's a, he's really good at driving with his right hand. Um, I think the next step would be maybe some finishes with his left hand and then being able to make the extra pass when the defense comes. I think that would be important as well. Um, but I project this guy to be one of the most valuable role players in the league. And that's why I, I, that's why I love him so much. I, I always believe that at 17, you should be going for a guy you think can be an elite role player. Uh, don't swing for the fences. You're you're risking wasting a pick. I think Tari. There's very few scenarios where he's a wasted pick, and I think he's a role player in 90 plus percent of of scenarios. And so, it's just a really exciting guy to bring on. I think if him and Tabari can manage to be our two wings, uh, our power or better, our power forward and your small forward, then that's a really good defensive foundation. Then those are two enforcers that are going to demand the rest of your team to play well because. It, when you are 
I mean, anybody that has, that has ever played sports, when you're in a team where everybody else is working really, really hard, you feel the obligation to play hard as well. If you're on a team where people are just slacking off and they're not getting full effort, then you're not going to give full effort either. And it's not it doesn't make you any make, doesn't make you any less of a player. It's just human nature. It's it's just how it's just how most people are wired. These two guys are not that way. These two guys are going to come in and set their own culture, and they're going to demand more out of their teammates. That's what that's what I believe. And Gil Green, we know, is someone. I mean, this guy was on a 20-game losing streak, fighting uh, fighting through screens, uh, down 20 in the fourth quarter. Quarter, and that's also a special type of attitude towards the game. And those three guys, I think, have are going to be able to set the culture for this team. Then Shengun himself. Like he's not, he's not the best defender, but it's not because he doesn't want to play defense. It's mostly because of size, quickness, some stuff that can be worked on as we go along. But I think we're and then KPJ is the one that's more iffy, or it depends on the day. He might be locked in, he might not. And I think surrounding KPJ with all of these types of players will be really good for his trajectory as well. Yeah, I think I think Tarisen was a home run pick. I mean, I give this a, an A plus plus. I remember in the draft party we were. So, pick 13 came along, and I was like, if I was Charlotte, I would pick AJ Griffin, and then dare Cleveland to take one of the bigs and take the other one at 15. And what they did is they, t- they took the Ren, they traded them away, and then Cleveland took Akpati, which was kind of mind-blowing with AJ Griffin on, on the board, but I had already called this pick as well, because... I got he straight up told people that he wanted to go to Cleveland and fits his knees that Cleveland has a wing that can shoot. <laughs> so they went to that badly and then at fifteen we were like, well, Charlotte still hasn't taken a big and there's a there's a clear gap in the roster that they need a defensive big. Mark Williams was there, uh H. Griffin was there, and Tarison was there. I was like these are three prospects that I really love. But I loved Mark Williams if we had gotten Mancaro because I think they would be a really good fit together. If you're getting Kimbari, I don't really think you need a Mark Williams type behind them. And you can live with with Shengun there and he, he'll be fine. So I was like, please, Charlotte, please don't go off script. Please take what you need. Please take Mark Williams. And they took Mark Williams. And at that point, everybody in the space was like, we are guaranteed to get one of Tyrese and or AJ Griffin. That was a that was a massive win. Um, Atlanta ended up taking AJ Griffin. That's fine. I would probably rather have him, but still, it doesn't matter. I was really happy with with Tyrese, and I think that's that's an A plus 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 pick by Stone. And you know, one other thing uh, I just want to reiterate here is that you know Tyrese is someone who's a good rebounder. Again, like I said in the first segment, um, <laughs> I've wanted. To improve the rebounding for quite some time now, I've I've been that's been one of my uh, things I've I've kind of pushed for on, on Twitter. But Tari is someone who's very physical, very you know aggressive as a rebounder. Um, so I do like that. Jalen obviously has a lot of athleticism. Um, should be able to be a plus rebounder. KPJ size advantage at his position. Um, and then Shingun is very good uh, as a positional rebounder as well. So I'm hoping that this year. The Rockets can improve uh, as a rebounding team and improve as a defensive team because that's really what Tari and Jabari should bring to the team, right? Is defense, uh, rebounding, size advantage, and then we'll see about the shooting for for Tari. But you know, Jabari is definitely going to bring shooting to the team as well. Um, neither one of these guys are big assist guys. I think 
Jabari was like at two assists per game and Tari was at one. So that does make it even more critical that Shingun is allowed to operate as a passer. KPJ makes another leap as a playmaker. And, you know, Jalen as well takes a, a leap in his playmaking. So that's the one area that going from Bancaro to Jabari, you're going to take a little bit of a hit is in the plat passing and playmaking department. So, you know, you're going to have to get those other three guys to, to make a leap there. You hope that they can. And then you also hope that, you know, the defense that you gain from getting these two guys is going to allow you to have more possessions uh, in transition, more possessions um, on offense. And uh, hopefully Jabari is a very low turnover guy. I think Tari is a little bit more of a turnover prone player than what Jabari is. And I saw people, people were making that argument in the spaces. Uh, people, when we talked about Tari, Eason brought that up plenty. And I'm like, yeah, he was a high turnover guy in college when he was like the clear best player on his team, right? You're bringing him to the NBA and you're not... I think people, there's a little bit of a, of a dissonance between what Rockets fans kind of expect out of that reason and what the rest of the draft community expects or thinks we expect. We are really high on him because for the longest time we had this guy called PJ Tucker that we loved a lot and he played a similar kind of role as, as a high intensity defender that could shoot threes, wasn't a lead shooter, but he could shoot. And then... Uh, I mean, PJ Tucker good. was PJ Tucker was by the numbers the best corner three point shooter in the league. So I just want to yeah, put some respect outside, on him before you take it too far. You know, outside of that, he wasn't like known as the sharp shooter right at any point in his career. So that, I think that's yeah, I think you're being very generous with that characterization. But I'm gonna <laughs> let you continue. I think I think most people just expect him to be that. And if you're going to be the yeah. elite role player, this PJ Tucker type, I don't really care about your your turnover pro proneness whatever whatever you want to call it because yeah. you're not going to be getting put into positions where you're trying to run offense or you're trying to score an iso or the rough the offense is is highly dependent on you right Th that's not what we expect out of him and i don't think that's what salas is going to have him do we have Kalen green kpj and alpern Shingun. those are going to be the three guys running the offense most of the time so I, I I don't buy that. And, and the other thing I was going to say is I, I will I will say real quick. I think there is if Jalen or Jabari does get in a situation where they become doubled, right? You do at least need Tari to be able to function, you know, as someone who can handle some sort of creation off of like a ball rotation out of that. And so again, that's not like a big part of the offense, but. You know that's where the turnovers could come into play, right? If he if he's having to to create out of the the short roll or something like that, or out of the um the ball rotation off of a double for Jalen or something. But he was the but the thing is, in at LSU, right? This was the best player on the team, and and, and the the situations he was put in that the lead to turnovers are very different than the situation that yeah. you're describing as, as someone who's just trying to capitalize on the advantages that you get out of a Jordan Green double team. Um, and then the other thing I was going to say is to me the biggest thing about these the two picks we've talked so far, I think we'll get into Tai Tai in the next segment, um, is there's a clear culture shift. And, and Tai Tai will tie into this as well. But there's a clear, like, we just got, at, at this point, two really, really good defenders. And as I said, two guys with insane motor rather than just being good defenders because i think you know Mikael Bridges is the example i bring out of and i love Mikael Bridges. he's a really really good defender and he can lock somebody up but he's not that type of enforcer get in your face about it like be 
um, the ultimate effort guy, the, the, your PK Tucker types, your, your Marcus Smart types. And I think both Eason and Klebari have that in their head, in their way of playing the game, where they're going to give every everything they've got. And I think those are really important players to have on a team that up until this point was really, really high talent, offensive talent, really high. Like these guys are just gifted players at basketball and they usually get along fine just because of that exactly. And not saying that Tari and Tabari are not gifted players whatsoever, but they aren't overly reliant on that talent the way the way Kevin Porter Jr. is or the way Dylan Green is, even though Dylan is kind of an exception. It's not that type of. It's these are guys that very much rely on that motor and that extra edge to be where they are today. Because Tarisman wasn't a really high talent prospect his entire career. He wasn't college last year, and he wasn't even talked about to be even a second round pick. And this year, he went to LSU, and because of exactly what we're talking about, um, just because of exactly what we're talking about. He went and he is a first-round pick. He's, he was almost a lottery pick. And Tavori Smith the same way. He was not amongst your your uh, Paul Mancaros or your Ted Holmgrens at, at the beginning. of the, he's, He is someone who very much came from a lower tier and earned himself or, or, or fought his way into consideration for the number one overall pick. And having those types of guys in a rebuild is really important. And because culture... As much as it's a, what's it called? It's a, it's something that people talk about a lot and usually they overvalue. It is still valuable. And and I think the difference between a team like the Timberwolves, who had a bunch of talent, right? They had, they had Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns and, and at some point, uh, Zach Levine as, as well, right? These were clearly teams that had all the talent but missed these types of defensive players and these types of of of, of leaders, right? And, and I think it's easy on a rebuild to get a, a little bit lost into all of this offensive talent and then care uh, too little about defense. And I think these guys kind of have that covered, and I, I truly believe that. And the other thing is, once again, bring, uh, tying it back to next year's draft, that this then allows us to next year's in next year's draft once again swing for the fences or or try and get another offensive talent because I think something that I think it's a priority for Salas, it's a priority for Stone, and that's and this these picks match the value that they're trying to put on defense this year and creating an, an identity there. So what you're saying is that Rafael Stone beat the doesn't care about defense allegations? Oh okay. Nobody's gonna get that reference, but that was up for all the people that said we're turning into ball don't stop. Uh that was <laughs> that was what that was for. So uh that brings us to a great spot to take a break when we come back we're going to talk about the rockets third selection uh of this draft and that is ty ty washington so don't go anywhere we will be right back and continuing into our third segment here on the launchpad podcast we're going to talk a little bit about the rockets third selection in this draft and that is ty ty washington so before we get into what he looks like on the court and what he's going to look like in the rockets rotation let's talk a little bit about what happened to get the Rockets to the point where they they made the selection, and that is they took the 26th pick that they got in the Christian Wood trade, and they traded that for the 29th pick in this draft. So, Paolo, talk about a little bit about, little bit about um, the trade 
And did you like the value that they got back in return for pick 26? Uh, I mean, I think it's a it's a no-brainer, especially when you look at the, the entirety of the trade, because they turned the Christian Wood trade where they got pick 26 into this other trade. And so the final tally, or I guess I guess I'll start with the pick 26 in specific, but so at pick 26, we were sitting there in thrust spaces and we were thinking, well, great, we're guaranteed one of Evie Liddell, Ty Ty Washington, or Jalen Hardy. Any of these guys are clear, are clear um, first-round talents. You could argue that Ty Ty was borderline, not a watery talent, but borderline someone who you, who you would be okay taking at pick 17. Uh, and we know that's, that's what Sam Vecini said in real time. He said at, at pick 17, he said, you know, you got two guys here. The best two players available are Tari Eason and Ty Ty Washington. And, and Ty Ty Washington continued to slide for, for quite some time after he said that. Yeah. And so they traded back from 26 to 29. And then you're trading back two spots, right? So you're guaranteeing still that you are still going to get one of those three guys at 29 if you value them closely. So you did that and you accumulated two second round picks from a team that might, those might be good second round picks. The team rules are not known as perennial winners. Uh, they have a very flimsy situation, although they're young. It, it doesn't seem like something that's very stable over there. And so, although they're second round picks, and those have whatever, like not a lot of value, but those could be good second round picks. They're in 2025 and 2027, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> that's a lot of time for the team rolls to go back to stinking again. Um, <laughs> and so, it makes all sense in the world. You trade it back, and you and then you reach 29, and none of the three prospects that we were talking about had gone. And so you still had your choice at those three. And they still got the guy that they wanted at 26 at 29. So two free second-round picks. And then when you look at it from a the entirety of the trade, they now basically traded Christian Wood for Bobon Marjanovic, Ty Ty Washington, and two second-round picks from a team that's historically bad. And so when you compare that to what the Timberwolves, uh, what the Pistons got, they got a Milwaukee 2025 pick that's top four projected, and they got, I think, two seconds in the in the, in the second that's a swap, right? And so it's basically this, it's close to the same return for players that were, were at least in our universe of NBA Twitter were valued completely different people everybody would have said oh grant someone who they could maybe even in the package or whatever maybe they could get pick seven with him right and 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 with christian yeah. wood it was well i'm not sure if christian wood's worth a first round pick by uh danny Baru um just a couple weeks ago right and so it ended up we ended up getting basically the same value whether that was a bad deal by detroit or just a really good deal by us that's what ended up happening and so from the just perspective that was perfect i still i'm not sure how much playing time we're going to be able to give tight washington this year depending on how they value him and Knicks. but um that might eventually make the case that we should have tried and traded the pick for a future pick but we don't even know if that was on the table at that point but in a vacuum for right now i think it was a really good trade yeah, I definitely agree that's a, a really good trade. Um, again, like we've heard, there was someone else that also mentioned that they had Ty Ty around, you know, 15 to, to 19 grade. And well, I'm going to sneeze real quick. 
<laughs> sorry sorry about that um but yeah so that that was the value that most people had him at was you know mid first round and we ended up basically getting him right before the second round hit the other thing i want to talk about is there were a lot of people that watched Ty Ty Washington uh, closer at, at Kentucky than I did that mentioned that, you know, once he had his ankle injury, he just looked like a completely different player. Um, I think that's something that also needs to be pointed out. That could be one of the reasons why he ended up falling to this range. Um, that is a good way to get value. Uh, something I'll compare it to um, when Michael Porter Jr. was coming out, there was a lot of concerns about his back, right? And that's what, led him to fall from a top three guy to pick 14 where the Nuggets took him. So, you know, players that get injured in college and, and that kind of affects how their season goes, um, that can have very different uh, career trajectories for them, right? And so I, I think it's important before we start to get into into Tata Washington's game here, um, the Rockets had said a number of times that they were really high on Dacian Knicks. They said they had a lottery grade on him. They didn't take Ty Ty Washington in the lottery. I do want to point that out because a lot of people are going to say, well, you signed Knicks uh, as a UDFA and then you took Ty Ty as a first round pick. So Ty Ty is guaranteed to you know get the playing time over Knicks. The Rockets said they had a first round or a lottery grade on Knicks. I'll have to see what they say they had the grade for Ty Ty as. But you know, Ty Ty was an obvious best player available situation. Uh, Knicks was, you know, best player available in undrafted free agency. Um, so I think with these guys, I think there will be a little bit more competition for that spot than some people may be leading on because the team does seem like they're fairly high on Knicks. But with that said, let's get into a little bit of, of how he plays on the court, right? Yeah, um, so let me just point out some, some stats before we get into that so people know okay. how much the injury actually affected him. So I think I got injured in a game against Tennessee. This was the 17th game of the season, so it was basically halfway or a little bit over a halfway. Um, Kentucky was, I think, let, let me just double check. I, I'm on a college uh, basketball reference stats thing. Uh, so this is this lags a little bit. Okay. So at this point of the season, they had played 17 games. They had lost only three. And Tai Tai, who we'll get into it, but his archetype is a true point, right? Someone who's uh, very much a, a distributor first and then a scorer second. He was averaging 14.5 points per game, 4.2 rebounds per game, and 4.8 assists per game with 1.2 steals and only 1.8 turnovers. So his assist to turnover ratio was really, really good, especially for a guy that's a lead guard. You'll find guys with better assist to turnover ratios, but they're usually secondary or tertiary playmakers. Tyson was a lead, you know, um, a lead playmaker. And then you look at his percentages, and this is the really enticing part. He shot 51.5% from the field, 41% from three on three attempts a game, and 81% from the line, right? And so this is when he got injured. Um, and then he got hurt, and his jump shot seemed to have not as much lift on it. He wasn't jumping a lot. He was basically just kind of, it wasn't a set shot, but he was like a good three centimeters from the, from the ground, which I think is like an inch two inches or whatever um and so from that perspective this is the tight time walking that the people fell in love with and then he had that injury and from from that game against tennessee until the end of the season he averaged um 10 2 and 3 on 36 
uh, 28-70 splits, right? And so you can tell that the injury bothered him a lot, and he tanked his percentages a lot, right? And then he still ended up for the season shooting 35% or something close to that, but there was clearly something wrong, and I think that scared off a lot of people. Um, and so I think with a, um, a clean bill of health, I think he can be a really special player. And he can be that rare archetype of your true point guard that can shoot threes and play elite defense. Because this is a six three and a half guy, but he's got a massive wingspan. I think it's six ten yeah. or or something like that, right? And he six, is six eight. I think it says or it says. Yeah, it says it's pretty six, good. Eight. Yeah, I have a six uh, eight right here. But still, that's still really good. That's still plus six. Yeah. So. Yeah. And so and so. And this is not just someone who has the tools to be a great defender. This is someone that takes defense defense personally. He's going to fight through screens. He's going to do. He's going to recover when he gets beat. He's someone who is going to be a really good defender. Plus the playmaking, plus the being a really good shooter, right? And so he is once again one of those players that you can fit in with any superstar in the league because they can affect the game off the ball and they can get him into sets and they're really smart players who are, he's really good at, at, at executing passes when you watch him play you can clearly tell that's a point guard right that's not a scoring guard trying to be a point guard that's a true point and while that archetype might be overrated to some extent it's still a, a, a very rare archetype and a really valuable one i think the celtics that the just lost in the finals would tell you that if they could have had a true point, they would have very much, um, very much liked to have one. Uh, and so I, I won't steal all of the points away, but I'll let you go into it. But I really like the, the Washington pick, especially at pick 29, I think. Yeah. That's a steal. Um, I'm really, I really like his attitude towards the game. I, I also think that he can be a culture setter. Um, and, you know, Never bet against Kentucky guards, right? That that's the the motto. You can never bet against Kentucky guards. So yeah. So you know, watching a little bit of Tyson Washington tape and stuff like that, what you'll see stand out early is that he, he looks like a good shooter. You know, probably gave the numbers on that. He doesn't even with even before the ankle injury. Um, he doesn't. He's not someone that jumps really high on his shot. Uh, he tries to get it off with his quick release. Um. The release is a it's not low like Eason's is, but it's not a super high release because he gets it off so quick. It's a little bit you know, I hate using this comparison, but it's a little bit curry-esque, right? In the way he just kind of it's it's lower release, but very, very fast. Um he does seem to struggle once he gets by his man. Sometimes like he doesn't have super elite burst. Uh so sometimes his man can get back into the play. And you know, get a contest on him. So he's gonna have to work on you know either putting that defender in jail, or um, you know, using his strength to create a little bit more separation there. He has a good floater that he'll go to. Um, he has a good runner as well, and it seems like he started to go to those a lot. And defenses started to sit on them, so he may have to you know find a way to be able to get all the way to the rim uh, at times, so teams don't just sit on that floater. Um, he's not. He's not a Jalen Green level like nuclear athlete. So his finishing at the rim sometimes is a little bit more like craft based, uh, skill based, finesse based than just relying on explosion. And that some something that did come into the play there into play there was, you know, going to the floater, going to the runner, and, and those type of shots and not getting all the way to the rim. Um, his pull up mid range game is very good. And I say that's probably like the strongest 
aspect of his game offensively. So he can come around a screen, uh, work into space, and then pull up really fast the mid range. He's he's not super fast, but his change of speed from fast to slow coming into a pull up mid range and stopping like really quick and then pulling up into the shot uh, is very good. And then his release on the pull up is very fast as well. So players really aren't going to be able to get back into the play um, when he is taking that shot most of the time. Um, his passing looks very good. It's a lot of on time on target passing. He had the, I think it was a Kentucky record, 17 assists in a game, which obviously very impressive. Paolo mentioned the, the assisted turnover numbers as well, but it seems like he's a good passer. He has a lot of zip on the passes. He has a lot of pop on the passes, and they do hit the shooters right where they need them to be in the in the shot pocket. He looks very comfortable throwing the pocket pass. Um, we'll see if there's a player on this team that's capable of you know dunking off of off of that short roll or dunking off of the pocket pass. But he he does look very comfortable throwing that pass in general. Um, I think the last thing I noticed watching him um, was that he does seem. He can be indecisive on screens at times. Um, if there's an obvious situation where he can get into space and get into his pull-up, he can. If there's an obvious situation where um, where you know he can get to the roll man, I think he will. He'll look for dump-offs and stuff like that. But sometimes he just doesn't know what he wants to do with the screen. He, he isn't great at you know calling for a re-screen and things like that. I think that can be learned a little bit more as he goes on. Um We'll see how much pick and roll they allow him to play. Uh, we'll see who his pick and roll partners as well. So I think that'll be a, a big factor here. But um, he doesn't get tons of separation when he's trying to isolate. And I think some of that is uh, not being just the, the most nuclear athlete. Some of that may be the ankle injury coming into play again. But he does need to do a better job of using his strength and physicality to get that separation. And he does that some. Don't Don't get me wrong. He does use that uh, a little bit to be able to get separation, but he doesn't get just tons and tons of separation the way you see Jalen, right? Like Jalen just has all types of space uh, after he puts together some of his dribble moves against defenders when he's trying to break them down. So overall, I think, um, you know, can I see him taking over for, you know, starting point guard at some point? I, I think maybe backup point guard, uh, like in a really elite backup point guard, maybe like a Monte Morris, right? I think that's the type of role I see him uh, really realistically slotting into. But that's still a really good player, right? And that's someone that you can really trust to run the offense. Um, like we mentioned, low turnovers, things like that. I think his decision-making is generally pretty good. Uh, so overall, at 29, thrilled with the pick. As a player, I'm very excited. I think he has a lot of good, interesting tools. Uh, I do like the mid-range pull-up game. I do like the passing and stuff like that. So, you know, overall, again, rate this pick very highly. Getting two second-round picks on top of that for, for training back just really put it over the top for me. Um, do you have any closing thoughts on Tata Washington? I'm sure we'll have a little bit more, more breakdown uh, after the weekend. We can really dive into the tape on these guys. His his, his uh, introductory press conference and his little videos for for uh, the Rockets main page were really entertaining. So, uh, along with uh, a good basketball player, I value uh, I value a fun personality. <laughs> and he, I mean, I'm joking. Obviously, I'm not drafting guys for fun personalities, but I obviously yeah. I just wanted to point that out. Uh, he was really fun. So he he definitely fits the the vibes club. I want to see Ty Ty Washington and Josh Christopher interact. I think yes. that would be really fun yes. together. But imagine so. that. Imagine the guard defense on that secondary unit. If if Ty Ty is the the point and Josh is the shooting guard, 
like that, that's a that's a lockdown or the potential to be a lockdown uh, second unit. And the, the good thing with that is when you have when both of your backups are lockdown defenders, you could switch one one of those guys into the starting lineup for certain for certain for certain matchups as well, right? And you're not putting the defense on on either side. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And uh, it will be interesting to see. You know, I'm sure we're gonna have months and months to to do rotation talk, but. It'll be interesting to see, you know, what shakes out with the rotation in terms of who those guys are going to play with. Because right now, the the rumor is that Eric Gordon is going to be the starting small forward. We'll see if Eric Gordon's long for the roster or, or how long that lasts. But you know, if if it is Ty Ty, uh, Ty Ty, Josh Christopher and Tari, right? I think there's some really interesting things you can do defensively with those three. So uh, we'll see if they are able to get a backup center as well. Um, I could see this being a very very strong defensive unit um a reserve unit uh and that will allow those guys to be good transition players um i think that's where tar easton especially really excels is in transition so I, I think there's a lot that you can be doing there because obviously most other teams backup groups if you have someone as aggressive as tar easton as a defender he's going to really take advantage of backup ball handlers and you know players that aren't able to you know really protect the ball. And so I think that will allow a lot of good things to happen. Um, Josh Christopher, also a really good guy in transition. Um, one of the better guys in transition, I would say, uh, on the team, along with Jalen, right? Jalen's going to be good in transition. He, he's good pretty much everywhere on offense. But um, it'll be interesting, like I said, if you put Tate in the backup unit as well, how do you like the fit between Tate and, and Ty Ty? Because obviously Tate's someone that wants to have the ball in his hands a little bit more. I mean... I really think I mean I saw I saw um, the the Jason Tate comments about him working with Draymond and I think that's that's great that you're working with Draymond but I think I think shooting is a more important thing and he was mentioning like working with Draymond as in my shooting is not that important I think it's the opposite I think shooting is really really important because the only reason Draymond gets away with not being able to shoot is because he is once in a generational type of defender once in a generational type of this type of the offensive role that he has only works because he has a once in a generation type of shooter to play with or two of them as actually and then three so, three at times when he had kd with him there as well yeah so it's it's like that's but, not hey, reliable hey, we, we we have 610 clay now <laughs> we have 610 clay now so maybe and maybe it just, it'll work it, out it's just that i watching that that i watching that has a release close steph, steph curry so listen rockets are now a shooting team you heard it here first <laughs> no nah, i'm joking i think in particular with Tate, uh, I would rather him focus on getting a jump shot and be a typical 3-and-D wing and let the guards do the guards things and have your have your passing be an extra and be an extra threat rather be the main cell of your game, I think would be the ideal scenario. Uh, I think it's a lot easier to be a 3-and-D wing with some connector skills rather than be a connector with some 3-and-D wing skills. I would much rather the first one than the second one. Um, and with, I think that second unit now with Tai Tai, um, and I, I'm not sure if it's going to be Tai Tai or next, but I think there's now no, I don't think there's going to be playmaking issues, and I think they should just run the system through the guards. Um, but I, the other thing I want to touch on before we close is <laughs> there's a big, big roster crunch when it comes to these forward slash wings and if they're planning on bringing on a center that means uh that garuba is not going to be able to play center 
Um, and so what's Garuba going to play? Because you've got Jabari, uh, even if you move Jabari to the three, right? Now you've got three spots, backup three, backup four, and starting um, and starting four, right? And you have KJ, Garuba, Tate, uh, Eric Gordon, if he's going to play the three, right? You've got a big, you've got a big roster crunch there, and I'm not sure who you're planning to send to the G League, uh, but I would rather just have guys play with the main team and. Because imagine if, if Ethan outperforms Garuba, right? And I think he will. Then are you really going to send Garuba again to the G League? Like how much more? I mean, he, I think he would still have some stuff to work in the G League, but still, I think at, at that point, you're just devaluing assets for no reason. Um, and so I think a little consolidation trade or at least trading a couple of the vets or KJ Martin, if he's really unhappy with being here, is something that, that's going to need to be coming otherwise. It's not really about pleasing KJ Martin. It's about an asset that's going to be devaluing in the T League or at the end of the bench that you'd rather get something for rather than run them into the ground and then becoming one of those young and them becoming one of those young players that just didn't pan out. All right. So in real time, just tweeted out a poll for you guys that we just talked about, kind of something along along these lines, right? Who do you want to start? at the three this season not who do you think will start i think most people think that eric gordon will probably start as long as he's still on the roster but who do you want to start at three this season so i just tweet that out from the clutch city control room account at clutch city cr so go vote in that poll uh i'm going to actually link the poll in the description of the youtube account or the youtube uh video and the podcast video so uh if y'all want to jump on there and, and vote in that poll please do i think that'll be interesting uh conversation and starting point there uh we'll just close out with one more thing before we go uh, on that note right uh we heard last week that phoenix philadelphia and potentially even the new york knicks were interested in air gordon uh obviously a trade did not materialize during the draft but you know a trade could definitely happen coming into free agency as well i do also want to point out with kyrie irving on the move that would give or Sorry, Kyrie Irving potentially on the move. That would give, um, that would give the Rockets an opportunity to maybe jump into that trade as a third-party facilitator. So that's something to keep an eye on. Um, you know, not getting a first-round pick this year for Eric Gordon. I don't think that was something that the team really was too depressed about, too sad about. I think drafting four guys, um, drafting four guys again would have been a little bit too much. But Paolo. How do you feel about Eric Gordon? How do you feel about his time on the roster? Do you think that he's going to be here to start the season? Or do you think that the Rockets are going to find a trade partner for him in, in the next couple of days before free agency starts? I, I, neither, I think. I think he's going to be traded after free agency. I think uh, some teams will strike out on some of their free agents and might uh, return to the Rockets for Eric Gordon. I think the Suns... And their situation with DeAndre Aiden, they are someone who is interested, we know. But I do think it would be heavily reliant on what happens with Aiden and how much do they have to pay him to keep him up if they're not keeping him whatsoever or whatever happens with that team. And so I think that's a big um, uh, a big domino that still needs to fall. Um, but I would rather them trade him. I, I love Eric Gordon. I, I really value what he did for us here. I, I think... He's low-key someone 
who might not quite have reached your retirement type of um, type of role, but I they see someone up there that I, I not not as a meme consider a rocket sweatshirt. He was here for a long time. He was here for um, when we were good. He contributed to when we were good. When we were bad, he didn't cry about it. Didn't make a real a big fuss about it. He was a pro. He we we saw what he could do as a mentor last year he wasn't taking like he was clearly at times the best player on the floor and he wasn't taking a big role like Christian Wood was um and stuff like that so I really value what he did for us and how much of a pro he has been um but I would rather have him leave first of all because I genuinely mean this I would love for him to get a championship I would love to see him succeed on another team because I think he's a really good player that's just underused here because we're not trying to win games like that uh and when he gets to he's a really good player performer I'm sure when he gets to the biggest stage he's going to have some of his moments um and and I want to root for that and then on our end you just got too many players are going to play that same role this point for draft picks last year three draft picks this year we already have three players that we inherited from the first year that weren't quite draft picks or there were kj was but kj tata and nkbj guys that need minutes as well we have tation nix who was not a draft who wasn't drafted and was killing it in the g league and the rockets have said that they think he is a lottery level talent and so it's just too much to play and it just kind of I don't wanna I don't wanna record him being here and just not playing. I don't think that's fair to him. I don't think that's fair to, to what he did for us. And so and then I don't think that's feasible whatsoever. So I, I would rather just trade him. Yeah, I, I think it seems like and we heard this again from Ben DuBose and Michael Scotto on the Logger Line podcast that Ben DuBose hosts. Um, they both mentioned on there that it seems like the Rockets have a very firm asking price for Eric Gordon of a late teens, early 20s, first round pick. And they're not going to come off that price. They're they're comfortable keeping him. We've heard that a, a number of times now. We've heard that since the trade deadline. The Philadelphia pick that was rumored, you know, fell into that range. But it seemed like they didn't want another pick this year, which is understandable um maybe if a team offers up a 2023 round first pick for eric gordon that's something that they can entertain now that the draft has occurred you know that opened up a new set of picks uh that teams are able to offer in trades so that may change the calculus on an eric gordon trade i do want to point that out because of the stepian rule uh but you know at the end of the day i think we don't have a ton of bets on this team i think that's something that the front office is taking into account we do have Boban, so you know now Rockets legend uh, and very marketable player uh, Boban Marjanovic it will be there in some capacity, we believe. But unless they bring in a backup center who's someone that's really a vet and can kind of fill that role, it seems like they do value having Eric Gordon around for the vet leadership. Maybe if they trade Eric Gordon, they could bring someone back. For example, uh, what Danny Green got traded, right? That was that was part of that deal. That Philadelphia did. I'm sorry. Did Danny Green get traded from the Sixers? Yes, he was the okay. salary filler on the D'Anthony Melton trade. Okay, so you know that would have been someone that would have been good to bring in and replace Eric Gordon. I know many people have brought up Ricky Rubio as a potential uh, replacement for Eric Gordon as as a leadership guy. Um, I think if they do trade Eric Gordon, I could see them wanting to get someone like that coming back in the trade. So that will be. 
that's what I'm expecting if they do end up trading Eric Gordon in the near future is they'll trade him for someone where they can get that little bit of vet leadership back in the deal. And again, like it doesn't matter if that player is injured for the year or whatever the case may be, because that's of no concern for the Rockets uh, at this time. So I think that's a good place to leave it. Do you have any closing thoughts on the draft? Do you have any closing yeah. thoughts on, on you want to address your haters? This is a big no. time for you and your haters. You want to no. address haters? Like, I, no. I may address the haters before I leave. So we'll uh, <laughs> no, I'm just gonna say that my read on the Eric Gordon situation. There's still rumors from Sixers uh, beat writers that are still interested in Eric Gordon, but they already traded most of the salary floor that they had there to uh, Memphis for the Anthony Melton. But the way I look at it is actually. I don't think I don't think uh, I think what what Mori was trying to do there was if we if they made the pick right then the Rockets would no longer be interested in that in that player. Um, it, it's uh, the drive the, the car out of the lot situation. But what they did is they traded the pick for someone who was easily worth that pick. Anthony Melton, someone who can fetch a late pick for most teams. And so what I think what they plan to do is if they are if they indeed want their record on what they can now do is make that a three or a 14 trade and send and, and find the third team that wants Anthony Melton that is willing to give up a late first or a protective first for him. And they get Anthony Melton and that serves still as the outgoing salary for the Sixers plus Cork Mass, which is what they need for Eric Gordon. And then the Rockets get whichever filler from this third team comes to us along with the pick and, and the Eric Gordon, then Eric Gordon goes to the Sixers. So it's either that or it's... Daryl Morey doing stone a solid and leaking interest and saying that he's still interested in, in Eric Gordon to try and give him some leverage in trade talks. But that's mostly my read on, on that in specific. <laughs> when it comes to notable, the haters, notable bro, uh, Daryl Morey looking out for, for his protege, <laughs> Rafael Stone. You love it. Yeah. And, uh, and about the hater stuff, I mean, guys, I told you all during the entire draft process that I was going to, to defend whoever we, we took. Um, do I wish it was Bancaro? Yes, but eventually I won't, and, and and that's something that's going to dissipate. And while I did think that he was the better prospect at the beginning, he's not our prospect, and so I'm not going to be tweeting about him. I'm going to be tweeting about Clevari and all the good things that Clevari has, right? And for the people that talk about, don't talk the other prospect down. Guys, this is the draft. The draft is very much fundamentally about comparison. You compare the prospects that are available between each other and you decide which one to pick. Right? You don't look at, it, at, at, each, at, at each person's strengths individually. No, you compare them to each other and you decide which one is the better option. Okay? It's not... It, it is very much about comparison. The entire NBA is very much about comparison. It has always been, it will always be. Um, this doesn't mean I don't like Mancaro. No, I do like Mancaro, but I don't give it. I don't care about him anymore, right? He's not a Houston Rockets player. Jabari is, and so I'm going to keep tweeting about Jabari, and I'm going to keep pretending that I didn't like Mancaro at the beginning because I don't care about him anymore. I care about the guy that's here and how he fits and how exciting he is and how he's going to be a part of our future. Okay. And so I mentioned this earlier on in the in the show, but I'm gonna kind of reiterate this here and then and kind of state my position on how I'm going to operate going forward uh, and how I kind of handled it through the draft. But, you know, I had Jabari number two on my board. Uh, I was one of the people, uh, this was a few months ago, I, I had a tweet, I went back and checked, and I said, uh, I wanted to be very clear on what I had said in the tweet, but I said, you know, my worry with Jabari is that he's closer to Trevor Ariza than he is to Chris Middleton. And, you know, I, I put that on a spectrum. I didn't say that he was Trevor Ariza specifically, but, you know, Trevor Ariza is still a starting forward, uh, on the championship winning team, right? And he almost won on another 
championship level team before he went full Ariza and uh, missed all those threes. So, you know, Jabari, I'm a lot more confident in his shot. Um, I'm confident in the handle development. I think, I think his handle is already better than Ariza's. You know, that was definitely not part of Ariza's uh, strong set. Ariza was, Ariza was a good passer, um, kind of underrated passer, um, but not really a playmaker, I would say. But, you know, other than that one tweet, you know, I really never attacked Jabari that much outside of of our feud with uh, someone who re- remained nameless on, on, on the show. Um, but I was, I had Jabari over Chet on my board for a substantial period of the year. I never really attack Jabari generally, so I, I don't think me pivoting to Jabari. There's any anyone should really feel any type of way about that. Uh, I think he does fit well with what we're trying to do. I do think you know the defense is something that's going to be very beneficial to the team. So yeah, I will be pumping out Jabari uh, propaganda. I, I was the the I was disappointed during the draft. Um, I think my disappointment really stemmed from being lied to well, or will uh, deceived, whatever you want to call it, by a lot of the intel that we heard, a lot of the intel that came from Woj. You know, the Magic said they wanted Ben Carroll the whole time. Uh, we had a lot of people confirming that. We had a lot of people, um, you know, trying to substantiate that. And so for me, it was the expectation of this is our guy. I can already buy in, and, and that's what, really what we're going to do. Um, and, you know, not getting who you came in expecting to get it was the shock of wow, this didn't go the, the the way I thought it did. But you know, once that that initial shock wore off, you know, we're getting a good player. Shooting and defense are very important in the NBA for sure. And I think you know you really have to you really have to trust and have faith in Shingun, Jalen, and KPJ as playmakers that kind of overcome the the playmaking that you're not going to get with Bankero. But other than that, I think this is a great pick. I think the draft overall is a great pick. It shows that Rafael Stone, you know, has a commitment to to wing defense, team building, uh, and and you know, guys that are going to come in and play hard. And, and you know, it's kind of a a thing on Twitter right now for those of you who aren't on Twitter. But you know, guys that have that dog in them, right? Hopefully, we'll get some Jabari, uh, Jabari and Tari edits with that dog over their heart. Um, I'm definitely looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to you know pushing propaganda for these guys for for the next you know four to to 10 years. So I think that's a good place to leave it. Uh, Shout out to everyone that has given us shit for, for liking Paolo. I do not care. Keep doing it. Uh, You're not going to stop me. I have no shame. So on that note, follow me at Don knock, follow Paolo at Paolo Alves NBA. You can follow the pod at clutch city CR in the description or the bio there. You can find the link tree for the YouTube, Spotify and Apple podcast links. That's going to do it for us until next time. Y'all be safe and go Rockets.